What is up, fam? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor, author of Pre-Med Mondays, author of Black Men and White Coats, and the author of the Dr. Doc Children's Series. And of course, this is the Black Men and White Coats podcast, the place where black male physicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. Today, we got a different type of story, a different type of person, doesn't quite look like me. Um, he's one of my good buddies, and uh, we're going to get into talking here in a second, but he's a cool guy. You know, we did our residency together. We're both at Duke. Um, you know, I goodness, we started off probably not the first month, but probably the second month of residency or pretty early in residency. We were looking together on a team. He's been one of my good friends ever since then. We're going to talk about race. He's a white guy. I'm a black guy. We're going to talk about race. Oh, I want them bad like a daddy. Oh, let do it like flagger. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Ayy, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them options, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh, yeah. If you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black man, white yeah. coat, shit, we up right now, yeah. John Menachem, Dr. John Menachem, what's up, man? Thanks for joining the show. Oh, man. Oh, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. So <clears throat> I'm going to tell everybody how this, got, how this, this episode happened. You were, you were the first non, let me think about this. I think you're the first non-black male on this podcast, period, ever. Yeah. Nice. I think I've got, I've got some stuff lined up for some other people, but you were the first non-black male on this podcast, and it's a very important time, of course. And the way this happened, just so the viewers understand how this got to be, is, you know, it's been a rough time in, in the country, not just for black people, um, but for everybody, I think. It's been a rough time with COVID and then the George, well, the Maude Aubrey stuff and then the George Floyd stuff came out. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I was getting so many people reached out to me saying, hey, Dale, you know, and um, a lot of it was kind of like, Hey, Dale, do you want to come do this? Dale, do you want to come do this? Do you want to come do this? So a lot of people asking me to come do stuff, which is fine. And I'm cool with that because this is a prime time and I'm excited to go out and help as much as I can. But it was all, Dale, do you want to come and do this? Um, and some people reached out to me and some people said, um, hey, Dale, what can I do? What can I do for you, Dale? What can I do for you, Dale? You know, which is also cool because people are trying to help. Um, you know, Dr. Menachem reached out and said, hey, Dale, I've got an idea. What do you think? Can we do this idea? And that you were the only person who did that, right? And I, I can show you my wow. email. Only person who did that. So I'm going to start it off. First of all, I should say Dr. Menachem, he's a cardiologist, um, phenomenal at what he does. And again, I practice medicine with him, so I know he's a phenomenal doc. But I'm not going to harp on your skills. <laughs> I won't harp on your skills. I'm going to ask you, what prompted you to even reach out with that idea, you know, to begin with and say, hey, Dale, let's, let's try some stuff here? Well, I... I mean, you've known me a while. I, I saw all that's going on and, you know, I want to get stuff done. Like I'm not, it, it's great that we're having dialogue and talking and, and, and I think it's super important and I'm all in favor of it. But the stuff that you've done uh, to push this agenda is huge. And I wanted to get on board and I want to, I want to get it going. I don't want to wait. I, I, I mean, you know me, I'm impatient. Like I'm ready to get this started, see what I can do to help. Um, cause I think, I think now is, is even, I mean, I've thought this was important for a long time yeah. and now it's even more important. And so tell uh, me why, why is it more important right now than, than compared to before? Well, I mean, clearly we, we have major problems in, in race relations in this country. And, and I think it's always been there and, and, you know, the events that of recent just highlight them even more, but it's been there yeah. and, um, but I think what this has done is it's, it's, it's putting people, you know, you're putting your foot on the accelerator here. Like, let's get it going. It's enough talking and it, it like, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the talks are, are bad. I'm not saying anything anyone is doing is wrong. What I'm saying is we got to get going. We, we got to have a plan. Let's stop talking. Let's start doing it. I love it, man. I love it. Um, as, as you're talking, it's making me think, cause like you said, we've known each other for quite some time now. And I, I think part of the reason why you could come to me and say, hey, Dale, this is what I, I want to do and kind of be at that stage so it's not just talk is because you and I have been very open with race, race discussion oh, yeah. for years. Probably from the first day I met you, we were talking about the angry black man face and I was just, we're joking everybody so everybody knows it's a joke, right? Um, yeah. 
but we've been talking about race openly since probably within the first week we met or something like that, right? I think for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a Jewish guy from New York. Um, you are not a Jewish guy from New York, and <laughs> and but I think both of us have always been. We didn't. We looked at each other as you know, we're friends. We work together. We're different, but we're not. And that the the race and religion never caused was not the major difference between us. And um, and we had fun with it. I mean, I I, yeah. I think I learned a lot. I learned a lot from you about black culture. I think you learned some stuff about Jewish culture from me and we, we make it fun. I and I can't remember, but you know, we're just talking about that. Um, the lecture you gave, um, uh, <laughs> Duke, there's a lecture. I can't remember, but you made the, I can't remember what it was, but you made the funniest joke, something about kosher or no, no, something about pagans and Gentiles or something like that. Yeah. No, it was so hilarious. The, uh, yeah, people, it's funny. So I gave that talk, the Tom Holland lecture. I mean, it's, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And the, the thing that I made was that some woman, some patient we had who asked me, um, so what kind of name is Menachem? And I said, well, it's, it's Jewish. And she looked at me and said, well, you must be rich. And, and, you know, there's definitely some, uh, there again, there's some undercurrents to what she's Real saying, fact, yeah, definitely. but the way my mind works, I just turned that into a joke. So I highlighted the fact that um, when, the salaries for the year, there were going to be different salaries for Jews That's and non-Jews. And, and it, uh, <laughs> I, I thought I was sort of treading on thin ice doing that and the room erupted and there, yeah. it wasn't, it, it was clear that everyone thought that what that woman had said was just dumb and we were just flipping it on its head. So. Uh, yeah. And there's, and there's, there's something there about, again, and this might just be because who you are and you've always been able to speak about this openly without feeling um, I, I don't know if you feel nervous or not, but when you when you talk about race, it doesn't come across as nervous. It's probably it's probably that too, right? Like you've just always been comfortable talking about race. So I want to know why is that the case? I, I know I know a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. Tell me about the your upbringing. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we'll go back a little bit. So I I grew up, I mean, Jewish family in New York City. Um, my my first real close friend growing up was a kid who was um, his father was black and his mother was Italian. Chris. Oh, there you go, Menachem. You got a black friend, so you met the quota. Yeah, yeah, Got a so, black friend. Yeah, but the thing, so what's amazing is, so um, this is a guy, and, and you know, we all had, we, we were all close-knit, and I still keep in touch with these guys from kindergarten, right? They, oh. they, Chris sang at my wedding, these guys came down. So right from the start, it never occurred to me that there were any differences, right? We were all, we were all just friends, and the common bond probably was baseball. I mean, that's, that, that's, what, yeah. that's what it was. And so it never really occurred to me. And you live in New York and, you know, most of the kids I went to school with were Jewish, but we, um, we just all sort of figured it out because there were different races in every place. And then when I moved in junior high, we moved to a real small town in North Carolina. And I had never seen racism really before. And the racism here was no joke. And huh. what, what, uh, town, what town was that? Uh, Whiteville, North Carolina. So, I mean, I, we got, that what there. It was really called? is that what it was really called? Yeah. Okay. And, and part of it was my dad wanted to work in a small town and, and, um, and there were good people. And I don't want to say that there weren't good people, but there were also, there were also KKK rallies. Um, there were, there were definitely people that had just had no, you know, no interest in talking to or having anything to do with black people. And I mean, I got called a kike, which would be a derogatory term for, for a Jew, you know, multiple times. Uh, so it wasn't ideal. And, uh, but you learn a lot from that. And, um, and then, you know, it sort of built, it sort of built who I was, you know, I, I tried to, you know, you recognize that anti-Semitism is a thing. And it, there are people that have decided that they don't like me because I'm Jewish. So and, prior to, prior to that, had you, had you even thought about that really or no? No, not really, because in New York, I mean, we were surrounded by so many different races and religions and, and, and people that I didn't, I just sort of thought that was something maybe you see in the movies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wasn't everybody and not every, not every, it doesn't, you know, you try to try to realize like, you know, there's some, there's some real ignorant people out there and that haven't taken the time to learn who I am, what I stand for, what we're about. And, um, yeah, it makes you mad, but, um, you know, I also felt like it was my job to sort of change, change people's view. Um, 
didn't always work, but uh, you know. So when you, when you, tell me, when you say change people's view, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I think, I think that there- Is it, it, Did you mean like you were representing your, your, the Jewish culture? Yeah, and I think, you know, for there were, I mean, there were kids that gave me a hard time. I mean, and I, I think I probably pissed them off more by being better at school than they were and better at sports than they were. I mean, think about it. If you really don't like someone because they're Jewish and then they turn out to be better at, on the soccer field than you are, that's not, I mean, that's not making them feel any better. So, Slap in the face. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, you know, you learn a lot from that. And, and I think sometimes you learn, you know, from people, you learn who you want to be. You also can learn who you don't want to be, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that, you know, kids that I grew up with didn't want to interact with black kids to me was crazy. And, you know, you just didn't stop me. I did what I wanted to do. So, um, so let's hop into the, well, so much to hop into, but let's, let's just go to the big one that's on everybody's mind right now. George Floyd, when you saw that, when you saw that police officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck, what were you thinking? What came to your Terrifying, mind? Right. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody who can look at that video and say, I get it. That was crazy. And it was terrifying. It was horrifying. And that shouldn't have gone down that way. There's, there's no question in my mind. I, um, the, you know, and you feel bad. Obviously you feel bad for him. You feel bad for his family. Um, I think you feel bad somewhat for the families of those cops too. And what I mean by that is if that were, if that were my son doing that, I would be horrified, right? Like that's not how I brought you up. That's not what we do. Um, but I also assuming, think- Assuming his parents didn't bring him up like that. I don't know his parents- I, 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 I guess, I mean- He did not do that. Right. Yeah. And, but even, you know, I don't know if all the cops had kids, but if my kids ever saw me do something like that, I mean, I think, or if I had ever seen my parents do something like that, I would have been horrified. And I mean, so, um, but there is, the, it, I mean, every part about it was wrong. I do think one of the things though that you think about too, is that, you know, again, as I think back on my time growing up in North Carolina, not, not every cop is bad. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I have, I recognize that cops play a very special role in our society. I mean, when I was a med student in New Orleans, so I was a med student in New Orleans right after Katrina, okay? Mm -hmm. That place was not safe. Um, and, you know, the cops took care of the medical community. I mean, they watched over us. They made sure we could get to work. They, made, they protected those, those parking lots. They protected us on the way in. They made sure the hospital itself was safe. Because you think about how, many, how much gun violence we had there. So yeah. let me, let me, it, let me, let me ask you a quick question. Do you get nervous when you're around police officers? Sometimes. Okay. Do you get like scared when you're around police officers? Um, I think it depends. I think it depends on the situation. Um, I don't, I don't think I get, I get the same fear that my black friends get. I think, I think that's, I think that's without question. Um, well, I, was tell, I was telling people this. I don't know why, for whatever reason, I didn't realize. I thought that everybody felt the way I feel when I get around the cop. I had no idea that the people don't. I, uh, you know, I was texting some of my med school buddies. We were, all, we were all in this group chat. And I started asking the black, there's a black woman in the group. I, and I was like, yeah, do you guys get nervous when you're around police? And all of them, they're like, no, I don't get nervous like that. And I asked my wife, who's a black woman. I said, do you get nervous? She's like, no, I don't get nervous around police officers. And that's when it occurs to me, like, wow, other people don't feel like, I just always assumed because yeah. somebody's got a gun on your hip and- Well, you know, I, I, think, I think, Dale, I think it depends on the situation, right? So, I mean, if I get pulled over for speeding, mm -hmm. I, you don't know, I, you hope they're gonna do the right thing, but I'm nervous. <laughs> I keep my hands on the wheel, I say yes sir, no sir. Hopefully I don't get caught for speeding too often. But the, the point is, um, you know, you're right. It's, they, I think they, they have a scary job. I think oftentimes they take, they take it too far. Um, but I don't, again, I don't think all, all people are bad. I yeah, think definitely not. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what surprised me, which I didn't realize. I didn't realize how many of my black physician male friends have had unfortunate 
police encounters or police. Encounters. I mean, goodness, I've had, um, you know, I've been out in St. When I was in Mexico, we went out to St. Louis Zoo or something. We went to get breakfast and a cop comes and starts messing with us, has us open the trunk, search the trunk to look at, he said one of us fit the description. You got three doctors there and a, and a grad student just standing outside doing nothing, right? But we fit the description. So they're searching the trunk of the car and it's like, for what? And that's not even bad, right? Then I'm talking to other friends who are telling me yeah. that they've had, you know, the cop kneeled on their neck, all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. It wasn't until this George Floyd situation where I realized how it's not really not infrequent. I can I imagine a, if I had to guess off the top of my head right now, the of black friends that I associate with, I would guess probably at least 15 to 20% of them will tell me that they've had something, some oh, I odd interaction. I think that's true. I, I believe, I mean, it, the interactions, uh, between the black community and the cops have not been good. There's no question about that. Um, but this this really showed this really showed that things have to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, where do you think it? Um, where do you think the change starts? You know, where who was responsible to initiate the change? Where does it start? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think we're all responsible for it. You know, part of why I reached out to you was too, is that you knew you read all of these things about people talking about, about guilt and, 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 you know, feelings of wanting to get involved. And I, listen, I, there's no question. I felt terrible. Right. And I still feel terrible for what happened. Um, but I don't think, um, I don't, I don't see, I don't know how to say this correctly. I, I feel like I, I'm not a racist. I don't look at race that way, mm-hmm. but I do feel like it's, it's, I don't, I need to get involved, not out of guilt, but out of, because I think it's the right thing to do that we need to improve race relations. And I think we need to educate people. And sometimes it just starts person by person. So I'll tell you, I'll give you a story about, I think I told you this the other day where about a year ago, I took care of a patient that had a, a Nazi swastika tattooed on. Okay. Yeah. So like as a Jewish guy, <laughs> that, right? Like that, that, I mean, my inside I'm boiling, right? Cause like, think about w- what that tattoo said. Yeah. And, I, and I thought about, I thought about like, how am I, what am I going to say? And this sort of like goes over. And then it sort of came down to the fact that I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to make sure that that guy got the best care he could possibly get and that he knew my last name, right? Because now this racist idiot has to go home. And when people ask him, how did, how are you doing so much better? It's the Jewish guy that took care of me. The Jewish doc doc made me think about that though. Think about like, that's, that's not, now I haven't changed anything on a national level. But we've all done, that's that one guy that he's now got to tell his family and his friends who took care of him. And that sort of thing can trickle out. So um, I, think, I think that's important that we all play our role in, in sort of forcing this issue. Like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's make it a thing. Let's make it a thing. Yeah, I, had, um, I was giving a little talk this morning and you know, everybody's been asking me, hey, Dale, what can I do? How can I get involved? How can I help make things better? And, um, you know, I had been saying stuff like, yeah, give people a space to talk, let's talk, yada, yada, yada. And then it occurred to me this morning, I'm going to start challenging people for real. I'm going to say, I want you to put your money where your mouth is, not necessarily money, but when people ask me now, hey, what can I do to contribute to the situation? My answer is you need to mentor somebody who does not look like you for a full year and at least phone call, whatever, touch base with them at least once a month for a full year straight. Right. Because first of all, you get to know them or whatever. So that helps with race relations. But more importantly, you're helping build that individual up to be, for growth, to become a better person so they can go out and accomplish their goals and do exactly what you just said. Be excellent at whatever it is they want to do. Right. So then they get put, they, they, they're in these positions to as it pertains to medicine, at least during a, a position position, which is highly respected in the culture, you know. So yeah. That, I mean, I think th- that's why I think what you've done is so important. Right. So it's it's one thing to just sit back and write papers and, and get up on a podium and talk about, we don't have enough African-American doctors. Mm-hmm. Great. So now you're up there and you've said it and whatever, what are you doing about it? And that's, what's been so impressive about what you're doing. You're, you're doing right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to reach, you're going to reach kids. You're going to reach doctors. You're going to reach mentors and just change it. And 
it's going to be a slow process, but one by one, you'll get through to everybody. And I think that's important. Have you, Menachem, have you heard of the, um, the black tax? No. So the black tax is this concept of, um, because there's so few black people in medicine, um, we get asked to do a lot of stuff, right? Or we're expected to do a lot of stuff. Like right now, everybody's asking me to come talk or whatever, right, which is fair, which is good, right? Because um, I want to I wanna contribute however I can. But this general idea that because anytime in the black tax, it could, be, it could be the anything tax, but the idea is whenever there's so few of people, you get asked to do a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, to your point, what you're saying right now, I want, I want to, I'm going to raise this for people in academic medicine. You're in academic medicine. I'm yeah. in academic medicine. In academic medicine, you know, you just said, hey, Dale, I love what you're doing because you're actually doing things, not just writing the paper, but you're doing things, right? So the challenge that people like me get into, and I'd love to hear your thought on this, is, is we're trying to do things because if you don't do things, nothing happens. And a lot of, oftentimes the people trying to do things in diversity are people in academic medicine. Right. So we're trying to do things and we're doing, doing, doing so much that a lot of us don't spend time focusing on writing the papers because we got to do because we're getting asked to do a million things, right? And then you know what that leads to. You're not writing papers, hard to get promoted, right? So it leads in trouble. What, what are your thoughts on that general concept, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, I think... Um, so I'll tell you what I've, given, what I've given advice to fellows about is that, so what my interest in is in advanced therapy, so transplant and mechanical support in adults with congenital heart disease, right? And you've known this. I've, this, is, this I've, is, I've known this since, I've known so since Dr. Dr. Kerry Ward. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. I've known that all the time, yeah. Right. So, um, and what I've told, and my, the amount I've published and written has, has grown as of late, and and what I've told the fellows is, is that I don't write just because I want to write. Because writing is not what I love to do. The, the things are is that I'm passionate about this topic. And the only way someone's going to listen to me is for me to put it on paper. So if it's important to me, I got to just play the game, right? It, would it be easier if I just could tell people what to do and they just listen? Yes, but that's not the way medicine works. And I don't have time to try to change that. So that's number one. Um, and then the second thing is too, is that I, I think that, um, I feel that if you're, if you're, you don't just write just to write. So I'm not on my passion about it, but if I, if I need an answer to a question and I'm going to research it to find out if it's the right answer, mm -hmm. then once we know if it's the right answer or not, then the writing is the simple part, right? Yeah. And then the third part is, is that I've gotten much better and learning this sort of process as I've gone and I'm only, you know, we're, we're still junior faculty, man, but right. is getting the fellows and the residents involved, right? Force them, force the issue. So you know how many residents and fellows have no interest in adult congenital heart disease and transplant that end up having an interest or are sort of forced because <laughs> yeah. I'm working with them. And so, it's the and same they, and they, they just want the publication yeah that's right yeah. i but this is the same sort of thing like it's i think that in order to get the you know to get everyone to pay attention sometimes we've got to just follow the rules and in, in the and in the way it's set forth do i agree with it always no but you can only fight so many battles right yeah. so um i think i think in today's world of academic medicine the, the publication is is going to be key, but it does get a lot of, it gets a lot of love that way. And you can get to more people. Um, but it's not easy. Oh, <laughs> that's not, and I'm not, I'm not one. I love writing. I mean, you can look at my, you can look back there. All yeah, yeah, yeah. I write, I write real books. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, for me, I understand what you're saying and I get it. You publish something. A lot of people will see it, but for me, it's challenging because. Oh yeah. For, for, for what I do specifically already, I already have my means to get my stuff out to a lot of people, a lot That's more great. than I'm probably going to read if I write a, pu a published okay. article, right? But not um, everybody has that platform, Dale. That's true. And I know it's, it's based on peer review. This idea you want to peer review. I get it. And let me take it. Let me backstep you because I just realized most of the listeners of this show probably are not in academic medicine. So what Dr. Menachem and I are talking about is um, when you're in academic medicine, which essentially means when you work at a medical school, you have to write papers and publish them in scientific journals. And that's how you get promoted. So that's how you kind of... um increase your ranking in academic medicine. So that's what we're talking about there. Let's get back to, to um, George Floyd's situation here. Um, 
So what do you think is the, the responsibility of the medical community specifically? Like, I love what you're doing, uh, how, I mean, I didn't, I didn't reach out to you. Like, you were on it immediately. You reached out to me. Like, what, did you feel a burden or responsibility to do that? Do you feel that's something that the medical community needs to focus on? The medical, should the medical community right now be standing behind black people as a whole? Should that be like a stance where everybody should be like, duh, the medical community should be standing behind black people? Or is that just an individual monocum? Hey, I just want to, that's just who I am. No, I mean, I, I, well, I don't think it's just a monocum thing. I think, I think we need to be standing behind the black community. We need to be supporting. And again, though, I'm not, I don't want to take credit for having come up with these ideas. What, what, what I think is I, I've seen, watch what you've done and it's, it's a big deal. And I don't know if you've stopped to see it and now you're getting a white guy view of it, right? Is that I'm looking at it going, holy moly, look, look what this guy's doing now. I'm, I want to get behind that because I think, I think that, that what we're recognizing from what the stuff that you're doing is, is talking about medicine early on with kids, getting them. Cause I grew up, my dad was a doctor. I, I wasn't always planning on being a doctor, but still I knew what medicine was about. That's not as common. Right. And, and I think that's important. I think it's important to have mentors. Um, and and I think it's important for people to be able to see people like them and say, I want to be that guy, right? There are people right all along, the, all around the country that want to be Dale. That's, that's great. But yeah, sucker. I need, huh? sorry for them. Only they knew how bad Dale was. No, <laughs> but I try to throw a Menachem joke in there. Okay. I can't, I, I can't, I can't do them like you do. I tried though. I tried. I think, but I think it's, you know, I watch what you're doing and I can't, I couldn't have started this, right? Because who's going to listen to me doing black guys in white coats? But I can help push the push the agenda. I mean, we have black residents, we have black fellows, we have we have black med students, and I don't think I think they need it needs to be a multi pronged approach. Like you said about black tax, you can't reach every one of these. You can't, right? What am I supposed to do? Just sit on the sideline being like, nah, we got a black resident and uh, that's Dale's thing. So I'm going to go and we'll just wait until Dale's ready to, to mentor them. I mean, th there are probably people that do that. It's just slowing down the process. So I think it's my job to, and you know this, I've tried, I've sent people your way. Yeah. But I don't just send them to you and dump them. Like, hey, th this guy's a, african-american who wants to wants to be a cardiology fellow uh so here you go dale take take care of it no if they're they here yeah. that's my they, they need you but on a day-to-day -day, i know you, I, yeah, want, you, I know you we've talked about how you're riding on how you ride them and you stay on them to make sure they make it yeah yeah so i i mean we're um we're getting ready one of our new fellows coming in for heart failure transplant is african-american guy and um, he, he, guy's brilliant. He doesn't know he's brilliant, but he's brilliant. Just trust me. Cause 10 years from now, you're going to see this guy's name. Um, but you're not going to see it because he's publishing all sorts of journals on DNA and lipids, whatever. You're going to see him because he's making change one by one. Yeah. But my job for the next 12 months is to turn this guy is to make sure that he is the best heart failure transplant doctor we can get out of him. That's, that's what I need to do. And I think, it's important too to recognize that um, I think mentors come in every different color, shape, size. You know, I, if I look at my list of mentors over the years, mm -hmm. right? So you talk about Carrie Ward. So Carrie Ward is one of the greatest doctors of all time, right? She, she, you can't find anyone who has anything bad to say about her. She's brilliant. She's a great clinician. Good person. I was a small. She's a, she's a soft. She's soft and she's great, right? Then we also had some mentors, right? Like Dr. Corey, he didn't tell you you were doing great unless you did great, yeah, right? And, and so I needed both of those types of people, right? I have, I have female mentors. I have African-American mentors. I, I think you, gotta, you, you need a whole crew of people. Yeah. Um, and that's and important. I, that's important to say, right? Because a lot of people will say, oh, I have a mentor. No, you need a team of mentors, right? No, I, I'll tell you that the, the first mentor I really had, um, well, I've had a number of different mentors, but one mentor when I was doing between, when I was waiting to try to get into med school and I worked for this medical device company out in California, 
And I worked for this guy, Duke Rolina. And Duke, Duke was one of the most important people in my career. Uh, he probably doesn't know it or not. But he, I didn't get into med school the first time I applied. And I, this is while I was working for him. And so I just sort of had my head down and I was just, I, I was half-assing it, right? I was doing a bad job at work. I'd sort of like, how am I going to get into med school? The oh, whoa was me routine. Yep. And Duke pulled me aside and said, all right, you're going to decide. I'm going to give you through the weekend and you're going to decide. You're either going to come in here on Monday and you're going to tell me that you want to, you want to be the best medical device guy that we've ever had and you're going to bust it 100%. Or you're going to tell me that you're going full bore to get into med school and you're going to get into med school. If you're not going to do one of those things 100%, you're fired. And I walked out of that meeting shaking and pissed off. And then I got home and I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. And I, guess what? I got into med school. Right. And I, I, I had a whole what'd you new, do? what'd you do? Did you come in on Monday and you came in on Monday and told him med school? I told him I'm going to med school and I had a plan. I took the weekend and I had a plan. I, I started volunteering in one place. I had, I'd signed up to take the MCAT again. I was taking extra classes. Like Monday was a whole different plan. But he and didn't, he didn't, he, his intent wasn't to fire you if he said you're going to med school. He just wanted you to commit and, and go at it. Yeah, he was, and, and it changed me. It, it absolutely changed me. So this guy has nothing, he's not a doctor, right? And he's been one of the most important people in my career. So I think it's important that people have different mentors that serve different purposes. I mean, you can also have mentors that you don't go to all the time, but people that you don't want to be like, you see how they are with patients and you're like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. There's a little bit of mentorship there, right? Yeah, like a little negative mentoring, vicarious yeah. learning. Yeah. So I think, I think to go back to your original question, I think everybody needs, needs multiple mentors. And I think they need to be of every different size and color and shape and form and whatever you could possibly get. Cause medicine ain't easy. No, it's not. All right. So as a white doctor, when you put on the news and you see all the stuff about COVID disproportionately affecting the African-American community, what, what goes through your mind in those situations? Because now we're talking about something that's more directly healthcare related. Yeah. So yeah. what's running through your mind there? All right. So I don't want to be negative, but I have to tell you that here. I'm waiting on the COVID data. So what we've seen now multiple times, right, is this, and you're talking about academics. We're seeing people publishing data and putting out studies and stuff and just to get it out there, right? And to be first and to get their name in the lights. And then, you know, we've just had two recent publications, one in the Lancet, one in New England Journal that were retracted. Those are two of our biggest journals, okay? So I'm sort of cautious about, about accepting the data right off the bat, okay? That being said, let's say that we, let's say that it is factually correct that African-Americans are disproportionately affected by COVID. The scientist and the, and the cardiologist in me says that that's too simple, right? Because if by saying that all we're saying, and then that, then that makes it, it makes it a thing about race and it, it allows people to now to sort of wipe their hands of it and be like, see, uh, black people aren't, aren't treated appropriately. White people are doing better. I think it's more, we got to get further we, and we can't stop. This is, this is what I'm saying about just talking, right? So that's, that's talk. Now let's get in there and find out who are we actually talking about? Because what we may find is when we get into that data, maybe it's not all blacks and African-Americans. Maybe it's African-American males between 50 and 70 that have diabetes, or maybe it's African-American women, 40 to 50 that have COPD. I don't know, but I think if we're just going to lump everything together, we're not going to find out who's actually getting affected. So, so we, need to, we need to dig in, take a real deep yes. investigation, deep dive, so we can actually do something about it. Right. Like think about think about every every time we sat down with Dr. Simel at the VA, right? And look, you're at doing him. all sorts of throwbacks, man. Simel, yeah. goodness gracious. Yeah. Another guy who terrified me and taught me so much, right? Brilliant, so, Brilliant people, man. Brilliant people. But think about what what he used to say to us on every time we discuss a paper. He used to say to us, "Is that your patient?" Right. Yeah. So does that mean that every time a black patient comes in, we have to say, oh, they're going to get COVID? No, that, that's not. So we need to we need to get granular data. We need to get in there 
and find out what's going on. Um, and I think that what we're going to find is there are subsets within the African-American community. It may be regional, it may be age, it may be comorbidities. For all we know, we may find out that the, the majority of the African-Americans that are testing positive for COVID don't have primary care docs, right? If that's the case, let's fix the problem. Yeah. I like it. I love it. Yeah. I'm sure all those things do contribute, but to the, the point you're making here is let's get a real, this is, this is you being a scientist here. Let's get a real answer. Yes. Let's do something about the actual problem instead of throwing a, a blanket statement. That'd be, Menachem, that'd be amazing. I don't know if that's going to, I mean, people are trying to do it. Um, you know, the skeptic in me sometimes wonders how much do people really care? You know, sometimes I, sometimes I wonder how much do people really care outside of the publications. You know, I wonder how much do people really care enough to try to make a difference. And again, this is me being real, me being honest. Yeah. So all this stuff happens and it's not just me. There's a lot of people I've, I've been communicating with feel the same way. All this COVID stuff happens. All this George Floyd stuff happens. Everybody's all excited about it right now. Who's going to care in a year? Correct. Right? So Correct. who's going to be still excited in the year? Who's going to be trying to answer these COVID questions you just brought up in a year? You know, or is it, is it going to take, is it going to, everybody's been on quarantine at home. Everybody's a little bit anxious. They want to get out. Everybody wants to do something right now, right? Yep. Want to have a voice. In a year, two years, whatever, is everybody still going to have this much energy? Or is it going to be back to life as usual? Same old, same old. Well, I mean, it's what you said, right? You got to put your money where your mouth is. So it, you know, Talk is cheap. We got we got to see that people got to do and make lasting differences. And I, again, I think when you're talking about mentorship and, and taking getting residents and med students through the process, yeah, we got to that. That's how we're going to make a difference. And you know, I've said this to you too. Is that and you know this? I, I always get goosebumps when it happens. Is that when part of why I think this is also important too is that when I'm the attending, like when you're the attending and you walk in. If I have, if there's an African American family and the fellow or the resident with me is African American, oh, yeah. there's a certain bit of pride that goes that those patients feel, okay. and they want that guy as their doctor. And I'll tell you what, that's great, right? That's what we want, and we need. So it's important. It's really important because they. That's how we sort of build the community and build build. Um, you know, get more African-Americans into, into the process. And the flip side of that too, is that the more we do that, we can start by breaking down racists one by one in the hospital, right? When the racists need care and I, there is nothing I love seeing more than these ignorant people have to recognize who's taking care of them. You think that actually makes a difference though in, in the way they view you? Do you think that do you think it just builds more resentment for them? Because I mean, racist people aren't racist necessarily because they think that you're really inferior to them, right? I, and I don't notice, I'm not, I, I like to, I hope I'm not racist. <laughs> racist people are, I would assume racist people are racist just because they're scared of the difference. They're, they feel threatened, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm no expert on, on racism. I, I, you know, I have, but what I do think is, I think, a lot of what racism is built on and a lot of what hate is built on is not knowing. And, and it, you know, I think that when, when you talk to people, right, like that patient I told you about with the, the swastika, how many Jews did he know? Right? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes if, if, you, if you don't know, an African-American guy, and it turns out he's your doctor that saves your life, it's going to change your mind. Um, if it doesn't, boy, we got, you know, now then you're ignorant to a different level. But the, at least that's my hope. I, I don't know if that's right. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think, I think we might be surprised to see that there's going to be a lot of people ignorant to a different level, you know? So you, I, you could be right, but I think I'm hoping that, that we're going to just keep, keep changing people's minds one by one. I like that. I like that mindset, right? Cause, and that's the other thing. A lot of people think that you've got to go out and do something really big and have a big rally or something like that. No, just like you said, just do one thing, one thing every day, one little thing. And if everybody does one thing, that's 300 million things, you know? Right. You it know, adds I, up. 
when I was when I was a med student, we had a we had a professor who once said he said you know why I teach? He said because I teach because if I teach you physical exam, I teach to a class of two hundred people. Mm-hmm. And those two hundred people, those two hundred people are going to go out and take care of ten thousand people, right? Think about so that you don't have to. Yes, we can try on a national level, but I think you know for people like me, I. I think in the medical community, there's enough of us that feel strongly that we should be supporting this. Let's support it. Let's get, let's support the things you're doing and, and force the issue, you know, let's do something. I'm not going to hear. So I've always, a lot of, a lot of black people, there's so few, 2% of physicians are black men, right? So there's so few of us. So a lot of times we feel like we're the face of the race, right? We feel like we're representing for the race. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to make you the face of the white race right now. All of it, the entire white race. What three, what are your top three things? And, and we'll close out, we'll close out with this. Maybe it depends on, we'll probably close out with this. Cause I see we're coming on the hour here, but what are your top three things that you feel the white, the white race, whatever the white people should be doing right now in light of what's happening to and in the black community, top three things white people should be doing. You're the face of the race, Menachem. It's all on you. Oh my God. No pressure. Woo. Um, I hope people can tell by listening and watching this that normally I, I might not necessarily talk about race and talk about white black so much, but Menachem and I have known each other for a while. We've always done this. So. Oh, no, I, I mean, I think, so this is part of it, right? That's number one is let's talk about it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's have, and these sort of conversations, right, between two people that aren't fighting, that aren't protesting, that aren't, and that are just having a conversation because I don't think, I, I don't think always that I understand you and you understand me from afar. So we got to have real conversations. And that means your neighbors, the guy, whoever you meet in the supermarket, like have a real, have real conversations with real people. That's number one. As soon as we finish with these three, I'm sure I'm going to think of 10 more. (laughs) I think, um, I think we got to teach our kids. And part of me thinks that there's a generation above us that's hopeless and we should just be nice if we could just like put them all on an island and be done with it. But I, I think, you know, it's interesting that you have a lot of people mad at you for that one, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, um, you know, we, we've, we try to talk to our kids a little bit about all of this and it's interesting to see their response. They're very confused. Yeah. And we say, tell me about that. What, what do you tell your kids? Yeah, I want to hear this. I've got, yeah. I know. I, so people always ask me what I tell my kids, but I've never actually, I've never thought to ask a white man, what do you tell your kids in these situations? Well, it's interesting. First I ask them, what, what do they think that's going on? And, and then when we talk about it, it's interesting to see, you know, at least in our kids, I can't talk, but I talked to another good friend of mine around here is they're confused as to why you could dislike somebody because they're black. Like, that, that doesn't make, and, and as soon as, as soon as you, we start having these conversations, they, they said, well, but my friend is black. What, why? Like, and you can just see, like, it doesn't make any sense to them. And then you realize you're like, we should probably take eight year old mentality and push it to the rest of the adults who don't get it. Because that's exactly right. What, what, why? What, why should I not like somebody because of what they look like? That's crazy. So this I is think- fascinating, man. This is fascinating to me because I've never, I've never asked that question to anybody. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a, had this discussion with a white person about what do you tell your kids? Yeah. So I, think, I think about what I tell my kids, at least what I tell my, my oldest boy is um, eight, and I got a, he's about to be nine next month, and then I got a six-year-old, and my daughter is um, three. So I think about what I tell my boys, at least, and I said, hey, some bad things that are happening to, you know, this black guy, and bad things happen to black people sometimes, and Black people don't always get treated fair. Everybody doesn't get treated fair all times, but you know, you get it. I give them a general idea as to, as to what you would imagine I would probably tell them, right? And just give them some instructions like what you should do. It would be really fascinating, I mean, to have some sort of forum where, I mean, you can't really have six, eight-year-olds together and have them talk about race. But man, I would, lo- I would really love to see that, to see like a, a white dad and a black dad side by side talking to your kids and hearing what it's like. That'd be Super fascinating, man. I, I think I think it would be actually really cool to put the kids together because if I mean my kids don't play with your kids because you don't live right near me. But yeah. you know the um, 
if you put all the kids together and then told them that we can't do this anymore because you can't play with Dale's kids because they're black, my kids might lose their minds, right? Like they would be, that would be beyond them that that, that could happen. Um, so I, I think, I think that's, you know, I think part of it is on us is that, you know, just to keep talking to kids, but also, you know, making sure that they see the differences and they, they interact with kids that are different than them. Um, and then, you know, the last, the last thing is pretty much is just, I think everyone just needs to stop for just a second and just take a deep breath and say, just be reflective and say, why do I really not like this guy? Right? Like yeah. the, you see these, these, you know, the Nazi marches that were in Virginia and whatever. And I guarantee you, those guys, they, they don't know any Jews. They don't know any blacks. They, they, and if everyone could just stop for one second and just say, all right, we, we hate Jews. How many do we know? We don't know any. We should probably miss out, right? I mean, the- It's a nonsensical view, yeah. It's a, that's right. And I think, um, I like to try, you know, to go back, I like to try to at least believe that not everybody's bad. And I think, I think even good people do really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think if everyone could just, could just stop for just a second and, and talk about this, yeah. um, I think, I think things would change a little bit. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I might, I might also have an oversimplified view because, you know, you and I talk like this. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, I'm still thinking about the kid thing. Now going back to the kid thing real fast. Again, this is so fascinating to me because I'm wondering the conversation, what I, based on what you said, what I assume you're having. And then inherently, no matter what I do, right, the conversation that I'm having with my kid is different. No matter, yeah. what, I, no matter what I do with my kid, there's going to be, even if it's a tiny 1%, like a little minute atom, there's going to be some thought in their head of, I don't want to call it fear, but I don't know what it is. There's going to be some thought where they have to, now they, they now have to look at white people with a certain level of, I don't want to introduce mistrust into their head. You understand what I'm saying? That's right. It's challenging. Yeah, it's very difficult. I don't want to introduce that mistrust because your conversation is, hey, this black guy got treated bad. It's important that we treat everybody equal, you know, but your child's not black. My conversation is, hey, this black guy got treated bad. So the first thing my, my kid's going to think about is, am I going to get treated bad by a white person, right? And I don't want my kids to think that about it, white people. I don't want them to be scared. I don't want them because, you know, most white people are not going to treat you bad, obviously, right? There's a few bad apples that are out there, of course. And I, I never even, it never even occurred to me. The, the, the mere fact that things like this happen is where we're building new constructs in society. We're building new race relations in response to something that happened. So had this George Floyd thing, actually, I, I've been talking to my kids about it for a while because you had a lot of stuff happen. Yeah, but let's say it had George, Ahmad, both and John, let's say none of that stuff had happened. I would not have had to talk to my kid about this and my kid would have never had that introduction in their head. You know, now my kid, they, they didn't know what black and white was, you know, a few years ago. Now they're asking these questions about race and they see light-skinned black people that say, why is that person white? Like my, um, my father-in-law is really light-skinned, right? They say, why is, why is grandpa white? And my grandpa is not white, he's just light-skinned black person. So really interesting, man. The, the mere fact that racism exists, it almost, it almost perpetuates itself, you know, almost perpetuates itself. Yeah, but I think, you know, Dale, I mean, I'm sure your kids have a lot of white friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's, I think when, when kids can put a, a name and a face to what you're talking about, it changes things, right? So, if, you know, there's, there's a big difference between what they think of some jerk on TV who's holding up a stupid sign versus their friend. And, and that, I think that, that the friendships that people have are key, you know, even at that young age. You know, when we were in residency, I remember some guy, I, um, he was like a program director from, I think, Tulane or something like that, LSU. Somebody came to talk to us in residency. You would know. I think you, you might have known who he was. Um, the guy that came from was Jeff Weiss. He's the one that came from Tulane. Yeah, so that guy, he came to talk to us. And I remember he, he was, one of the things he said that they would do with people who work in hospitals, they would go out and have like baseball games or whatever. And everybody went, like the, the people who cleaned the floors. So I remember him talking about saying it's very hard to look at somebody, to look down upon somebody when you see them in the hallways if they're your second baseman on your baseball team. Right. 
or whatever. It's that whole deal about you have to engage with people. And, and really, it's funny, I don't remember anything else he said. From I don't even know what he talked about, but that's the one thing I've remembered all these years that he said, because it always just made sense to me. I, I just thought if people would do that, yeah, you know, then, then we get along a lot better. Um, all right, last thing I'm going to ask you, because you are the face of the race right now. Oh, boy. And it's a very, very ambiguous question. I'll let you, I'll let you um, say your answer, then I'll, then I'll close this out here. But as a face of the race, what is your view on the George Floyd situation? That's it. That's my question. As a face of the race, what is your final word view on the George Floyd situation? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was a horrific event that is now um, – it's now set things in motion and it's our job to, to, to make things better. Let's, let's stop talking about it. Um, I think it's enough of, uh, we, we know what happened. The, and now we have to make real changes and, and not talk about it. And it's exactly what you said is that, we need those people who are talking now need to be held to it that a year from now they're doing something and they're involved and they haven't moved on to the next thing. And so, um, you know, I think for, uh, you know, like when we've talked about mentoring, you know, African-Americans in medicine, I mean, I'm clearly going to get involved with you and I have for a while, but we need to get more white doctors involved with you and hold us to it. Let us, let us help. Let us mentor. Let's not push it on you. Let's do it. And, um, and stop taxing you, as you said, and, and really get trained people and train more black doctors that are going to get out there and make a difference. Love it. You heard it. Dr. John Menachem. Dr. Menachem, thank you so much for joining Black Men and White Coast, the very first ever non-black male person on this podcast appreciate you having appreciate having you here appreciate you being my friend over all these years it's been a good relationship open talk open dialogue it's um it's an awesome thing to have and just the work you do in general phenomenal cardiologist and like you said mentor and i could i could you know i could speak for john he does send people my way he does send me text messages and push people on me and he's not just asking me to do it i know he's pushing them and he's driving them so they can become great. So I appreciate that. And hopefully we can get more people to do that. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Black Men of White Coast podcast. Uh, always got to remind you guys, diversemedicine.com. That's for pre-meds. That's for doctors, medicines, anybody in the healthcare field, join diversemedicine.com. There you can register to become a mentor. If you're a pre-medical student, check out premedmondays.com. We do coaching. We got a group of pre-meds, and we help you guys get through the pre-med process without costing you guys an arm or a leg. Arm or an arm or a leg. You're gonna let me say that. Arm and the leg. That's what I'm trying to say. Love you guys. Blackmenandwhitecoats.org. Check us out. See you next time. Ooh. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Uh. Only do it like flogger, yeah. Uh. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Uh. Hey, I like them blues. I go Janet like Jackson, I got the margin, yeah It's all about progression, life is like a blessing Everything a win, loss is like a lesson, ooh, ooh Yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stepping, ooh, ooh Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around Really got on racks, ain't playing around If you wanna go get it, stop playing around Really got on racks, ain't playing around Black men, white yeah. coat, shit, we up right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You gotta set you a goal